Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 104, Practically Living Life in the Presence of God. Hello and welcome. My name is Lori Creek and I am the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where it is definitely snowing. I am alongside licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt Creek. Hello. Hey, Matt. We also have our producer and the reigning most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Uh, hi. Although you're feeling a little under the weather, and so you got to save that voice. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking it easy. We're going to ensure that voice before the <laughs> end of the hour. <laughs> Make sure you're going to be okay for the next one. Uh, but today we are going back to a topic that, honestly, it feels like we cannot cover it enough. But how do we practically live life in the presence of God? And we're going to talk about that with the man who literally wrote a book about it. And it's called Life in the Presence of God, and his name is Ken Boa. Ken, welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. We're so glad to have you. Now, a little bit more about Ken. He is a writer, teacher, speaker, and mentor working largely with business and professional people in the Atlanta area, throughout the country, and around the world. He writes a free monthly teaching letter called Reflections, and his website, KenBoa.org, has an abundance of free resources, which he was chatting us about them today. And they seem pretty neat, including like an app that helps you really do this practice of the presence of God. And so I want to uh, click on that. We'll We'll have links to that in the podcast episode page. But publications by Dr. Boa include Conform to His Image, I'm Glad You Asked, Face to Face, Faith Has Its Reasons, Augustine to Freud. I'm interested in that one. Mm. I started diving into like some of those pieces. I'm like, okay, yes, because I like Freud's a little interesting. Uh, but Augustine, I appreciate. Uh, handbook to Prayer, Handbook to Leadership, and a Taste of the Classics. I mean, this, this he's he's a smart one. We, we need to dive into his mind and his heart. But he is the president of Reflections Ministries and holds a BS from Case Institute of Technology, a Master's of Theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, a PhD from New York University. And just in case that wasn't enough. <laughs> a doctorate of philosophy from the University of Oxford, in case you heard of it, in England. Okay, so Dr. Boa, is it okay if we call you Ken? Yes, indeed. Okay, we will call you Ken. And uh, yes. before we dive into some of your brain and heart in regards to how we can practice the presence of God, let's just let's just keep it a little chill. And uh, we'll answer the question of the week from last week, which is, what tradition makes you focus the most on Jesus at Christmas? I don't know if you guys are like me, but I'm like constantly trying to force my children away from the Amazon magazine, which what the heck they sent that this year for the first time. Like, is it not enough? You're ubiquitous. Uh, but Ken, how do you um, focus? I guess just the most, how do you reorient your mind and heart and spirit onto the reason, the reason for the season? Yeah, actually I have a, 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 a little book I've got, 25 Days of Advent, that I created for Zondervan a number of years ago. So that's one resource that, that In can, your spare time. Use. Yeah, there's another one also for 40 Days of, of Lent. Uh, oh. So those are Advent and Lent. It's kind of a little booklet. And it's just one of these little NIV once-a-day things. And it provides very simply a prayer and a reflection and uh, on various scriptures and so forth in anticipation of that whole process of, of Advent. But um, it's it's really sanctifying time and space in a very real way. And sometimes we have to do that because the more liturgical churches are more conscious of that whole idea of the liturgical year and then the idea of various special times and seasons and festivals that they're more just conscious of that uh, passing of time yep. in a way that many are, many are not. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm I'm learning. I feel like this podcast has really taught me how to be more aware and uh, um, to lean in. Matt, how about you? What listener response were you like? Yeah, that that resonates with me. I'm going back to the word resonates. We've ripped that from the podcast for a while, <laughs> but I'm bringing it back home for home for the holidays. So which <laughs> which resonated with you and why? Yeah, I really liked Christy from Instagram, what she had to say. My favorite Christmas tradition that makes me think about Jesus is getting out my nativity scene. My dad handmade the stable for me and I've been collecting pieces over the years. It's resin so my kids can play with it and they just absolutely love it. And it just really helps us to think about Jesus. And and that I, I really liked because I it makes me think of my mom, one, because um, she loved nativity scenes. 
Oh. And and so that just kind of and she loved Christmas so much. Um, and this is the second Christmas without your mom. Yeah. 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 And so it, that's just a, a good good emotional kind of feeling for me. Um, and this was actually a hard thing because my family did not have a whole lot of traditions growing up. Hallmark movies. Other than Hallmark movies, which <laughs> we would sit in the back and make fun of as my parents watched them and loved them. <laughs> they cried and we laughed. <laughs> but I'm, I was thinking, and I, I feel like over the years I've gotten to be a much better gift giver. Like the running joke of my family is that I was a terrible gift giver growing up. Um, but as I've kind of, I guess, grown, I've, I've really come to really enjoy gift giving. And so looking at gift giving as my, I, I don't want to say mimicry of, of what God was doing for us, but, but really trying to see like, okay, God gave us everything, you know, and he, he came and obviously lived life and then died as, as our replacement. And so trying to give gifts with, with that in mind. And so I think gift giving itself has become kind of the tradition where I'm really trying to, to empathize with, okay, not even empathize, to understand God's gift. Mm. and what he sacrificed to to give us something that we didn't deserve. Mm. So good. Steve, resonating, uh, you. Listener. All right, this was the one that uh, I resonated with. This is Mara from Chicago, and for Christmas, my family and I love to bake loads and loads of Christmas cookies and head to McDonald's for Christmas dinner to meet up with some of our home-challenged friends. Our kids love it, our new and old friends feel that love, and for some strange reason, I feel at home being with the lovely humans Jesus came to this earth for. Uh, I appreciated that because uh, one of the few traditions that we have had as a family that we've like maintained since my kids were little we started one year just we went to this chinese <laughs> buffet for lunch christmas eve Aww. and over the years i mean it's the only time of the year that we go to this restaurant <laughs> and the the like the owners and uh the staff began to like recognize us and they'd be like oh the kids are getting bigger every you know year it was became like this Reunion, yeah. Um, and so we began to like bring gifts to them. Um, and a couple years ago, they actually went out of business; they shut down. Mm. And by this time, now we have like in-laws, significant others, grandkids, and so we started going to a different Chinese buffet. But now our kids, our grown kids, are like inviting their friends. So the 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 focus has shifted a little bit, but it's still on other people who we wouldn't normally be doing life with yeah. and we're just like come on in it's on us and so anyway so that's kind of been kind of a cool thing that we've done for probably going on 20 years now that's awesome the I Chinese like... reminds me a little bit of the end of Gene Shepard's Christmas story remember when oh, yes. everything falls apart so they end up going there the only place <laughs> that's open on Christmas day that's correct <laughs> yeah that's cute I liked this from Alexis Hey, Hole in My Heart team, this is Alexis. Observing Advent as a season of the already not yet tension has been huge in making the Christmas season about Jesus for me. It's created a space to lament and long when surrounded by a culture that says that the season should be about perfect relationships and photogenic moments. It's been a practice that lets me draw near to a savior who sees my brokenness and my need. On a practical level, this has looked like observing the liturgical calendar throughout the year. I grew up Baptist, so this was a really new concept for me as an adult, but it's been really vital. And Advent is the first season in the liturgical calendar. So if anybody would want to start observing that, this is the time. I have friends who observe alongside me by discussing what we're reading and the scripture we're meditating on, and we meet to discuss it over breakfast or coffee. We're meant to observe Advent and community. And so that has been massive and helping me hold the tension that Jesus has come. Yes, but he is coming again to make all right. That stood out to me because of the lament piece, which we've talked about maybe for some ad nauseum on this podcast. So we talk about it a lot. It's a huge practice in our home, in our discipling and Matt's counseling. Um, but I don't usually associate lament with Christmas. I feel like it's supposed to be like, you know, holly jolly Christmas, etc. But I'm like, it's true. It is that he came and then he's coming again. And so how can I how can I infuse that more into my life, this longing for God? And instead of 
staring at the world, like really bringing it to him. And I think there's nothing like having a five-year-old and a three-year-old and a baby to like force you to like think about how do I make them get their nose out of the Amazon magazine? <laughs> and, you know, I, and I have to change even my own questions from what do you want for Christmas? Oh, put it on the list and just shut up kid. stop asking me for things and think about it. But even saying, I don't know, little things like, uh, what do you want to give for Christmas? How can we care for others? And I don't know how to t- insert this longing piece, TBH, to be honest with you. Um, but I think I we've been picking up more and more of the Advent things. So, Ken, maybe we'll pick up yours. And um, I don't know, just to try and do that with the kids especially. So, honestly, I'm still working on this. Because um, it's one thing to, like, read yeah. the Luke 2 on Christmas Day and talk about Jesus or, like, sprinkle little Jesus on Christmas. But to, like, really make it about him, I don't feel like we're there yet, are we, hon? Mm, no. We're working on it. So, Ken, maybe you can help us. Yeah, because it's really more than Christmas. It's the whole Advent season, as you know, and anticipates yeah. both Advents. Yeah. And therefore, it, it really invites the the uh, retrospective view as well as the uh, inward and upward view and then the prospective view. So it really is a time for reflection and anticipation as well. Hmm. Yeah, I don't do that enough. So, yep, yep, I need I need some more work in this area. Okay. Let's let's do some of the introspection with you, Ken, as well as the reflection. Um, we ask every guest this set of questions. If the gospel is, I'm more loved than I can imagine and yet more sinful than I believe, shout out to Tim Keller. When was that good news of the gospel first good news for you, and how is it still? Yes, it's a complex question in my own journey because I was raised in a church where I had heard the good news but uh, and thought I had responded at the age of 13, but I more or less listened to someone's prayer rather than actually uh, knowing Jesus at that time. So it was more of an intellectual assent rather than a personal reception. But I couldn't acknowledge that to myself, and it was about, oh, about uh, two weeks or a few weeks after I graduated from, uh, from Case Institute of Technology that I found myself back there. And that's when I had uh, this encounter where I was forced to realize and come to grips with this with another person. And effectively, the two of us were almost mirror images of one another. He was a fraternity brother of mine. We didn't like each other. And now we've realized why. Because as we stripped away various layers, we discovered that both of us at the same age, at the age of 13, had formally supposed we knew Jesus, and we didn't. And then in the intervening eight years, we just had basically, uh, especially at at, uh, school, I never met a person who professed to know Jesus at all. So mm-hmm. I formally kind of put my Bible in a shelf, closed it, and that was about the end of it. And I became a secular humanist, but I didn't want to accept or reject Jesus, didn't want to think about it. So mm-hmm. both of us, this is going to be very strange, led each other to him at the same moment in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds like some sort of like sci-fi film, like, okay, it you're does. having and, living and, these and, parallel <laughs> lives and then intersect and <laughs> come to Jesus. It gets, it, it gets worse. Uh-oh. I don't know if I should even tell you that, but I, well, it happened many years ago. So it's, you know, there's a kind of a, a time frame here. It was both, we were on an LSD trip and doing um, basically uh, telepathy as well. So what can I tell you? Uh, we both saw ourselves. Wait, like legit, this- like you were seriously on an LSD trip. In real yeah. life. Oh, uh-huh. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. And uh-huh. finding Jesus simultaneously. Well, what can I tell you? It happened in, it, it happened to be in uh, uh, May, May, May uh, actually around June of 67. So that was and like. And then I found myself um, uh, back in, then that, after that, I found myself in Berkeley, California in the summer of love in 1967, fully immersed in the whole psychedelic movement. But I was a follower of Jesus. What? Okay, so you're on this trip, like psychedelic trip, <laughs> I, and you. I don't know where to go with this. I know. I'm. I so help bizarre. help us land from our own. We're on the. We're riding well, with you, bro. But you. Well, we both uh, saw ourselves without even words going down this this path, and the path then diverted in a, in a way ahead. You could see two two roads developed, uh, diverged in a yellow wooden. Sorry, I could yeah. not travel both and be one traveler. So the, essentially, we saw that that road was really neither to accept nor to reject Jesus. And so a forced choice was a, uh, ahead of us. We couldn't put on the brakes. And so both of us took the lo- road less traveled at the same moment in time. We were as straight as we are uh, right now on the phone. Instead, what happened, that all the components of the thing suddenly emerged into the 
the scriptures we'd learned as kids. Mm. And I began to share a text that I'd remembered, and it blew him away. And then he with me and blew me away because for the first time we understood what it meant. And we kept on going back and forth until the joy became so intense that we could literally not stand it anymore. We backed off and then the trip came back. And then after a while, we'd go back into the uh, text of scripture. We'd be straight and go back into the one text after another. This happened all night long. Wait. <laughs> I don't have I'm, words. I'm almost afraid to go there because it's so bizarre. You might want to just delete all this. No. Business. Oh, no. This is the good stuff of the podcast <laughs> is exactly what you're saying. So so here I it's a strange thing. I, mean, I don't know why. So I find myself in the summer of love in Berkeley, California and Haight-Ashbury in, in 1967. But that's another discussion. Well, I'm sure because wow. it takes some effort to work out that salvation. OK, but just oh, to word. be clear. So <laughs> You're on an acid trip, an LSD trip, and then well, essentially, yeah. but then you keep having moments of sobriety where you're recalling scripture like outrageously. Yes, because when we would, yeah, when we would get back into the scripture, then yeah. then all of a sudden all the energy was focused and all the hallucinations stopped. It was major where you you hear. Um, okay, can you say the, that 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 part again? Somehow you cut out. So you said it was like synesthesia. Oh, can you oh, say synesthesia, that part again? Yeah, one of the components of that is when you uh, your senses overlap. So for example, you might hear color, uh, you might see sound, uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, time is dilated, a wide array of things of that sort. But at the end of the day though it became the realization that for the first time um, we knew Yeshua HaMashiach rather than just uh, by hearsay but by intimacy and it was an astonishing uh, experience that was so transformative it defined me in fact I knew that very night where I was going to go so I knew I was supposed to go to Dallas Seminary not because it was an inference but because it was a very very clear thing that I needed to get my head together because I was a piece of work when I went there I was only six months old in the Lord after this when I found myself there it was a very strange experience so I couldn't I couldn't stand the place because I had to cut my hair and put on (laughs) the semblance of a coat and tie and God raised up three people to keep me there or I would have lost my sanity all my friends were non-believers anyway Okay, this is bananas. Because you just look at your bio that I read, and it's like, oh, this was a born nerd. No, just kidding. That just yeah, a real did, nerd. Got yeah. his, got all his degrees, and now he's following yeah. Jesus. And for some reason, he's you know into practicing the presence of God. But you're like, no, it reminds me of Dan Allender when we interviewed him, and I'm like, wait, 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 drug dealer, hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I remember having a lunch with him and Larry Crabb many years ago, uh, din- dinner rather, the three of us, many, many hours. It was an extraordinary experience where we were regaling ourselves with stories from our from our youths. What? Wow. Does Larry Crabb have a story of this, too? Not of this nature, but he had interesting stories of his own, of course, but not of this, not this bizarre. Hmm. Okay, now I. So when I found myself, I needed to. The Lord has a sense of humor. He stoops to conquer, essentially, at the end of the day, and that that would be a long story to describe how he got my attention, because essentially I didn't even think about these uh, spiritual. Huh until this was almost forced against my will when I was by myself on, on a previous trip and found myself by myself. And for the first time, I realized the presence of God after um, not even thinking about him for three and a half years. And suddenly I was aware of two things, the uh, the awesome um, holiness of God on the one hand, and then this incredible desire to know him. I later found out, Rudolf Otto called it in the idea of the holy, the mysterium tremendum et fascinans, where you're overwhelmed by him, but yet at the same time, you're drawn to him. And after a period of time, when my friend tried to, he found me, found me in the room, he said, what are you doing here? And I told, told him, I'm talking to God, man. It freaked him out. But at any rate, that was um, what uh, that was the beginning of this whole process. God stoops to conquer. He does things in ways that are surprising. He has a, a bizarre and strange sense of humor as well. Yeah. But at the same time, um, he uses what it will take. And so I need to get my head together. So I was going through conscious worldview transition for the first year at that at seminary because I was still um, I was still into Eastern mysticism. Hmm. I, the other area would be um, occultism, and then I was also involved in psychedelia still, and then um, I was an ardent um, uh, scientific humanist. But apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like the play? <laughs> <laughs> you were just a great candidate for Dallas Seminary. <laughs> yeah, I had no business being in there. But God <laughs> so, busted through your LSD trip to bring you in. To kept me, keep me there, yeah. 
Okay, so three, you had some I'm looking off of this. inside you. <laughs> That's not what you expected in your question. No, yes. but I am 100% happy that it is the answer. Yes, yeah. Matt. So, okay, so you have this amazing kind of intervention story where the presence of God intervenes in your life in a drastic way, and that was the first kind of real taste yes. of the gospel for you. And, and so we, we answered half of the question, I guess. <laughs> half of question one. <laughs> so, so, okay, so well, taking that and, and then yeah, really... Jumping light years ahead, we, we can say that it's been a journey. Uh, that, that was the beginning of this great journey of desire, which has just continued to grow and multiply. And I find myself more immersed now in this, in this journey, never having regretted any act of obedience in all of these 50 years, mm-hmm. and always in the long run having regretted acts of disobedience. It's a perfect track record. The reality mm-hmm. is that uh, there is a consistency, a fidelity, um, and uh, an immersion, as I say, in, in, in his presence that I'm beginning to discover on an increasing level. Yeah. So, okay, you, you brought up Larry Crabb a little bit ago, and, and one of the ways in his, in his book, Fully Alive, he, he talks about masculinity as one who remembers and moves. And in your mm-hmm. own life, okay, so just curiously, how how often do you look back on the beginnings of your journey and and remember kind of the way that god broke through in order to i guess move forward in obedience yeah. when you when everything in your flesh might be saying oh disobedience would feel better Yes, yes, because um, that's the wisdom of anamnesis, where you review and reflect, and with uh, new perspectives, you uh, revision and understand the past as well, because there's a whole dynamism as a fluidity that's going on in that journey, and you begin to discover everything connects, everything matters. So again, as I said before, I surely have many times resisted acts of obedience, but never rege- never regretted them. Mm-hmm. So there is a consistency uh, in this theme where coming into the intimacy with him, the idea of abiding in him, for example, is the whole reception of Jesus. And because we were never meant to create life, we can only receive life. And then his life in us manifested in us and through us as us through the unique prism of our personality so that no two people reflect and refract the glory of God in the same identical way, which is the stuff of heaven. Hmm. So essentially, then it's been this journey of uh, moving more and more. And to use that metaphor of abiding in the vine, we could almost see it also as being in, in, in an artery, as it were. And then the plaque would be, a plaque uh, that would keep it from flowing would be disobedience. It would be um, sloppy. Th- we, we all have sloppy thought lives. We have, um, in, we have flat, flabby wills and we have anemic intentions. And so to overcome those things, to get rid of that and to be continually in the journey of moving more and more into that full receptivity of his life uh, manifested in us and through us as us. Hmm. So, okay, you went from a, a dude and I'm going to call you a dude. A dude. <laughs> from... now, now the big. Now we're not at the big. At the big Lebowski, the Cohen brothers. Yeah. <laughs> the dude. The dude lives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so you went yeah. from a dude who would, you know, get... my, my wife and I do these uh, film festivals, and we've done many directors. Cohen Brothers we've done twice, but you have to do it always in the sequence of the film, and then we discuss it afterwards. That sounds awesome. And yeah. that, That'd be right up your alley, Steve. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but as a dude um, who, you know, was getting essentially just your your need for experiencing awe and intimacy mm-hmm. in a worldly mm-hmm. way through LSD and et cetera, et cetera, um, to now practicing the presence of God and really guiding and leading people there. Um, how is it similar and yet totally different from doing drugs? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, the, the whole thing with the, the drugs was just the grace of God that did, that kept me from my, fo- my folly and stupidity. And it was a way in which he, um, again, gets my attention in, in spite of my own, my own movement in another direction. I just think that was the sheer grace of God and his, uh, his severe mercy in many ways as well. But having said that though, in the journey, uh, as we move forward over those years, um, I realized it's a matter not so much of trying, but of training. And this whole idea of a training in righteousness, uh, the old phrase, perfect practice makes perfect, and not just 
practice makes perfect. And there are certain things one can repeat and train oneself to do in such a way that it actually changes even the way we think and the way we are ordered as because as i as i like to see it we are essentially um amphibious beings uh we have one foot in heaven and the other on earth and uh, in this way we're spiritual beings having this earthbound embodied experience so if we are indeed seated with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus and yet we find ourselves in this soul forming world in this earth and what practices can we engage in to train ourselves to immerse ourselves in this presence because our natural default mechanism is toward the material the temporal the quantifiable the measurable rather than the uh, realm that is equally uh, there but we have to train ourselves into and to bring that into a more immediate reality because i believe thomas kelly was right in his testament of devotion when he said that we are capable really of uh, of thinking on those two levels simultaneously and so i think we're spring-loaded toward the visible because that's the milieu in which we are immersed but at the same time through training and habituation uh, and through now i discuss neuroplasticity neurons Mm -hmm. that fire together wire together so that after a while it's it's you know almost like be spring-loaded again toward this more of the things of the spirit. So it's a kind of a muscle memory, and there's an actual neurological basis for it. The, uh, neuro, the myelin sheaths in these uh, neural pathways get thicker. And so after uh, training and habituation, uh, using first certain time-tested things that one can do, it begins to make one more immediately aware of his presence in uh, all people, all places, all times. Hmm. Everything matters. I have, I asked a question recently on our um, Facebook podcast page, and I asked really a question that Matt asked me recently, which was, when was the last time you experienced God's delight in you? And some people were like, never, like they've never experienced that. Utilizing the practices that you lay out in in your book and probably I'm yes. guessing in your app and, and also the, the additional, you know, study guide companion. How could one go about, I guess, because he does delight in us. How would one go about practicing and experiencing that? Yes, I think uh, that we want to use the sensorium that God has given to us, because as we well know, um, the biblical vision of life is the most incarnational understanding of what life is about, because after all, um, Yeshua himself became a man. And so with undiminished deity, he takes full humanity to himself and becomes one with us. It's It's an astonishing thought. So that now our training is to really move in the, uh, the that realm in this physical world, but to understand and to treasure the things that are going to endure that are not seen. Faith being the assurance of things not seen, the, the, the whole idea of uh, the hope for those things that are to come. So in putting our trust in those things that are not yet over the things that are now and uh, the things that are unseen over the things that are seen, it takes tremendous amount of risk. But our whole point here is that the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. So it's a whole understanding of a shift of gravity moving uh, really uh, ultimately into a greater sense of his a palpable manifest presence by engaging in time-tested methods that are, I think, very, very helpful for us to use. Uh, so I, I then list a whole variety of these these methods of training that one can get involved in, lifestyle method training and so forth, as well as the whole area of uh, relational exercises, scripture exercises. I created a book uh, some years ago called handbook to prayer and it gives people the um, guides them into praying scripture back to god so you combine those two things together so again um, how do i lift my thoughts up higher than my own would be what sensory exercises can i be involved in what physical exercises what lifestyle so i've been exploring this because the scriptures make it very clear that what is normal in this there is not typical in this world namely ongoing practice of his presence, not just reading the scriptures perhaps in the morning and having a prayer time, as great as that is. What do you do the rest of the time? Because we are called to love the Lord our God um, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You you don't do just that in the morning. You do that throughout the day. How? Uh, And our neighbor is ourselves. How do you do that throughout the day? 
well, I, there are exercises that I use. For example, um, when I train myself to, to, to uh, um, reduce my world to the person, to this be a time-stopping exercise. I did it today several times when I was meeting with someone. And I reminded um, those the people I was with today, this is all we've got right now. So very few people live in the fullness of the now. So I reduce my world to him, look him full in the eyes and say, this is all we've got. This is our time together. And and let us use that wisely and well. So I, I am able to pray for him while I'm talking with him. I'm able to, to be aware of uh, trusting the Father, abiding in the sun and walking by the spirit there's a multiplicity of things i've been trying to put together when i drive there i can't drive without looking at the funnel of beauty in which through which i'm driving because um i've sort i've tried to train myself so that after a while the two things are done simultaneously so it's the two things that i discovered one it's not trying but training training meaning habituation practice and being willing to make mistakes like any training would be but also the other one it's not time it's intention, the fact that we can do things simultaneously. So I can pray for someone while I'm uh, talking with them. And I can also um, ask the Spirit to guide me in a variety of ways um, during, that, during that exchange. And so there are multiple things we can do in a kind of simultaneous uh, manner. And that's what I've tried to do as I listed um, in these eight categories, I have 13 exercises, um, and so there are 104. So in the guide, a guide to practicing God's presence, which is a supplement to life in the presence of God, has all the exercises there and quite a number of others. We, I'm inviting people to try two a week and immerse yourself in that, and then you assess that uh, that experience, and then. Based upon that, you determine whether that was powerful for you. And if, even if only half are, you'd have a suite of 52 that do work for you at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. So the whole concept of there are so many creative things we can do. Um, so uh, just for example, when I'm at a restaurant, I, can, I now have been seeking to train myself to see that this, this person who's serving me, this is – an opportunity, a, a kairos moment. So one of the exercises I have in the in the book is the kairos versus chronos. What often appear to be interruptions are actually invitations. And so if I can train myself to see that, that this is an opportunity that I otherwise would not have had and that I that the most important things that will happen this day in terms of the economy of the kingdom of God will not be on my calendar, will not be on my planner, but I have to be have enough margin and um, um, acuity in order to really discern the spirits moving in these uh, opportunities that I'm given. Hmm. So, okay, jumping in, because here you are, I mean, you, you sent us your bio, you've got all these lists of pages of stuff that, that you've done and been involved in and, and everything. And from the outside, and even, you know, before hearing you talk, I'm sitting here like, man, this dude probably has just his time on lockdown, where in order to accomplish all the things that were in your bio, you must have been very time-focused, time-driven, always like having the next step plan. Yet how you're talking is, is almost like I, I am trying to live so much in the present that yes. I'm, not, I'm not concerned about, you know, the goal that I have for tomorrow or the things that I've mm -hmm. done in the past, but it's this, this moment of, okay, here it's, I'm allowing God to interrupt my plan because his plan is better. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it seems yes. so counterintuitive to being a productive, quote-unquote, member of society. That is correct. <laughs> it, it is. But Scripture is always countercultural and it's always counterintuitive. So my view is this, that intimacy energizes and animates activity. That's a huge risk that most don't pursue. But the fact is that as I... Um, pursue the realm of intimacy, then he will then energize my activities beyond what otherwise would have occurred. So again, that there's a phrase from Jim Elliott, wherever you are, be all there, live to the hilt any situation you believe to be the will of God. So in, in doing that, then I want to reduce my world at this point when the spirit prompts me to pray for someone, to call someone to do that, I do that. And if I'm in, invited to do something that I don't enjoy doing, um, I'm to do it with all that I've got. 
And so being fully alive to the grace of the present moment, even if it's something that you not don't particularly enjoy doing, but you're called to do it as a service to God. One, my, one of my favorite poets is uh, George Herbert, um, the Elizabethan poet, and in his elixir, he says, teach me my God and King and all things thee to see, and what I do in anything to do it as for thee. And then he goes on to describe how you can make drudgery divine with this understanding, uh, who sweeps a room for, as for thy laws makes that and the action fine. So the concept is that living in the fullness of the present, which is all we've got is the precious present, is so countercultural, finding space and time and trusting God for uh, being immersed in him, whatever I do, I want to do it as for him. And so in doing that, then I think he energizes and empowers that. And so I've been in my book, Conform to His Image, I discuss a lot of, about this whole idea of process spirituality, being versus doing, intimacy versus activity, process versus product. And so I'm, I'm seeking to find ways, exercises, and vehicles by which I can be more than alive to, the, to those graces. Turn, for example, a table fellowship with a friend into a, an act of worship. Uh, turn a concert into praise. Turn a flower into wonder and awe. And so I've been trying to train myself to see how the general revelation of God points beyond itself to the special and the special to the, re- the general. It's kind of been interesting how the two work together. So I'm a big I'm a scientist and that background has always been interesting to me. So I, a lot of my exercises have to do with looking at the natural world, um, going for walks and so forth, prayer walks, uh, just a variety of exercises that I've got. Here's what bothers me, though, is the strange fact that as far as I was able to see, people admire Brother Lawrence when they think about the practice of the presence of God, mm-hmm. but few people take them that seriously to do it, and they suppose, isn't mm-hmm. that nice? And then some who know more may remember about Frank Lawback and his game with minutes, and then others, again, Thomas Kelly and his testimony of devotion. But yet, I don't see the church as having taken this very seriously, and yet I think it's normative, because when you walk by the Spirit, you don't do that part of the day, Mm -hmm. to set your mind on things above. Um, Whatever you do in word or deed, dwell in the name of the Lord Jesus. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything gives thanks. These are ongoing activities and practices. You don't abide in Christ in the afternoon. It's an an ongoing uh, process of immersion, and I think what's biblically normal is utterly atypical. I was kind of shocked that I don't see a book like this, so I had to craft a book, A Guide to Practicing God's Presence, and an app called Presence for that purpose. So yeah. it's it's just I felt that there was a gap, a lack, uh, and therefore a, a significant loss. How? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. How I try and do this, and and I'm I'm working more and more on it, but it's just trying to invite God into the right now. And so like I was having a rough day the other day and I just was like, I I try and talk to him, but I don't feel like I let him, I don't visualize him all the time. It's rare in, in the room with me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really, it's sometimes I'm talking, but it's kind of just like an awareness. Like, especially when I do this podcast, this is a space where I'm dependent. I'm like, sometimes when I get done with the podcast, I'm like, <laughs> I'm so sweaty because, <laughs> because I'm having to like yeah. be really discerning and then also be ha- thinking a lot of thoughts at the very same time. But I, I try and do that in my mm-hmm. ongoing life. Is that practicing essentially the presence of God is just, I just feel like it's like I'm putting my hand out, my spiritual hand out and like, Hey, yes. hello, hello. Yes, and like trying that's to listen. Right. And that's what you're that's really what you're doing is you're as you're connecting, you're communicating. And uh, the whole idea, there's this uh, realization that really, as we obey him, as we walk with him and so forth, he manifests himself. And the more we allow the spirit to prompt us and to, to and to guide us, as I mentioned, those Kairos moments, there's a training in which we become more uh, attuned to that voice. And the more you hear it and the more you uh, yeah respond to it, then the more you, your capacity will increase. And you don't chide yourself when you do not do it. If you forgot about that, you gently return to that. So I've, I've sought to try to create 
various exercises, even the way I study scripture. So I have a, a, a guide to say, to, uh, I've created a journal of sacred readings, which is the Lexio Divina, mm-hmm. uh, read, reflect, respond, and rest, as I call it. And um, I have immersive experiences where I'll just do, do that, but I'll also try to have a text that I'm going to be chewing on while I'm driving and so forth. So everything can connect together, but also while I'm driving, I'm going to be uh, seeing the beauty of the clouds, or I'm going to be seeing the exquisite nature of this tree. Um, and um, then I'm going to see someone who's driving another car and I feel prompted suddenly to um, lift them up or to pray for them. And those kinds of things, we, we are bombarded with options that we overlook. Yeah. Okay. I want to circle back to something because this is literally touching on something I was thinking about this week. Is you said, intimacy energizes my activity. And, yes. and I keep thinking about, you know, if I look online, if I see the like doers and, and et cetera, the people who are out in front on the stage, they're, they're all like posting and talking about how, oh, I just need to be, and I need to make <laughs> sure I am now. And they're like, I need to not be doing as much. And I'm like, I hear you. I get it. But you know what? The doers are the ones who are doing stuff. So it's like there's kind of this that's, collective. That's precisely right. There's this collective yeah, it's not an either shame, or. though, it's a both that they end. feel. Yeah. As, as C.S. Lewis rightly said, it's not that the people who are most heavenly minded do the least earthly good. They, it's just the other way around. They do the most earthly good because they, mm-hmm. pres- they treasure the precious present and realize right now does matter forever. So and in, in seeing it that way, then you're kind of melding time and eternity. And the two things that we have in this planet that are going to go on are the word of God and people. You've never met a mere mortal. So consequently, how can I immerse those two, connect them together in such a way that every person, the last, the least, the lost matters? How I can seek to look and be, have a creative eye open for the invitations of God, the prompts of God, and so forth. Um, often I don't use just a, so much of a prayer list as much as I often ask the Spirit to prompt me and guide me and bring names to my mind as Mm -hmm. well. So I think it's through these exercises that I've been seeking to do that I can uh, connect uh, heaven and earth together more and more in in an immersive manner Mm -hmm. where uh, everyone uh, matters, every person I'm with. But again, reducing the world to that opportunity, to that now, so that my highest priority is what I'm called to do at the point of action rather than some kind of external list of A, B, C, and D. Yeah. And maybe the secret, probably yes, is the secret, is if you start with abiding and intimacy energizes your activity, so then you start doing essentially performance, you, you, it's, I think people go off the rails or they fall off the cliff when all of a sudden now their performance or their activities become their identity. That's where we go off the rails. So if we stay in intimacy and it's, Hey God, Mm -hmm. this is just fruit of a heart that's full of you. It started as fruit of a heart full of you and abiding and it's ending there. I think where we can get off the rails and be like, it's all about me. Look at all my stuff. Like that's, that's where I think people start getting um, maybe right guilt about identifying their, your identity based on performance. And then they can dive into shame as opposed to, oops, don't go to yes. shame, go to confession, yes, I, I and then go back on, to intimacy. Yes, yeah, there's the whole. I have a whole thing on guilt and shame that we've I've got on my website uh, Kenbo.org because it's such a huge issue. And that um, the the real key though is to focus on what we do want rather than to avoid what we don't want. Yeah. And so this is the expulsive power of a new affection. Uh, so going back to my days when I was first at seminary, we used to work with a lot of hippies, takes one to know one. So we never told them to get off of drugs. Huh. We told them about Jesus because what will happen, you, you'll never get rid of something by trying to get rid of it. That's extinction. You'll never do it. Instead of replacement. So mm-hmm. replace the, uh, the inferior thing with the greater good. And then you're giving people then that journey of desire to what you really want. And once finding that, then you discover that's what you were looking for all along. Okay. Now that's a whole other tangent podcast where we can talk about how you never had people get off drugs because we sure like to point at people's sin and only let them in the church doors when they're out of their sin. Well, well, you're right. That's the gospel of sin management, as Willard calls it. Yep, that's right. Oh, man, you are talking all the the OG, as people say, (laughs) what you're talking about, really people who have ministered and formed a lot of of beauty in this. uh, It's like 
this yeah. section that's like both theologically rich and yet spiritually deep that is, is where we love to to engage on this podcast. Well, that's what you want to have, because we are really wired, as Lewis so often describes Zainzuk, this longing, this, this aspiration for something greater. And you might, you might remember in one of his last book's letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, he talks, uses this metaphor of uh, being on a bright, sunny day and you go into uh, a thick wood. And in those woods, there is a, such a thick leaf canopy that you can barely see it's darker. But there are shafts of sunlight that somehow still pierce through. And those, he called them uh, patches of Godlight on the woodlands of our experience. Mm. And in this world, I think God, those three patches are intimacy, adventure, and beauty. And so he uses those. And so those moments that you have of longing through the greatest intimacy, the greatest beauty, the greatest adventure are things that point beyond or the themselves to a greater good that we cannot yet name. Hmm. All right, Ken, give us some some last marching orders or step in the right direction as far as um, I guess let's let's talk to the person who maybe is listening and is like, eh, I've never experienced I guess God's delight in me. I know you've got yes. like a hundred plus perhaps of um, of practices we could do, but what's one just maybe the spirit is prompting you right now? Uh, to look that person in the eye and say, how about try this? Yeah, <clears throat> I think one of the first things, uh, that one of the things I like to do at the beginning of the day, and this is something that I think is very powerful because our first thoughts of the day <clears throat> and our last thoughts of the day are the most important. And most people bookend them in the wrong manner. They, they look at their device for what's happened in the news, and then they go to bed watching the news or something. And so it's a terrible way to be. So one of the first things we can do is before you your feet hit the floor, love and gratitude. And so you begin the day with love uh, because that's essentially the whole idea. Love is the fulfillment of the law for the Lord your God and for your neighbor. And then gratitude, cultivating a heart of gratitude, which is one of the best exercises I know. Gratitude for the beauty of the created order. Gratitude for our material blessings, for our relational blessings, and for our spiritual blessings. Because gratitude has a short half-life. Nothing ages more quickly than it. So it must be intentional. Not re Otherwise, with the passing of time, grace degenerates into entitlement. So we need to see how these these are choices we can make. So I think uh, that's one of the things we can do as well. And then a slow um, uh, the, uh, saying of the Lord's Prayer, Father in heaven, your, your name be glorified. So hallowed be your name, not mine. Your kingdom come, not my little fiefdom. Your will be done, not my little will. And what you're doing is you're dethroning the self on, an, on a daily basis and enthroning Christ. So you move from an egocentric to a Christocentric world on a, on a consistent basis. It's like a transforming uh, of, of the self so that uh, if I were to summarize the Bible in one sentence, it might be, I'm God and you're not. So effectively, we're realizing who we are in this world and who and whose. And then, and then the realization that the one who holds the super clusters of galaxies in his hand is the one who's the lover of our souls. And so the concept of that transcendence and in in, in, imminence reaching down into us. So I think we can do that. We can just look at the wonder of this world and realize that the one who made all this is the lover of our souls. And so I think of the, the concept of how he manifested Himself, so the life of Christ then becomes uh, 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 poignant in that in that context. So the consist some kind of just showing up, and with a uh, with a desire to know Him, and uh, and just again a chapter a day for the rest of your life, as many people describe it as well, so that we have at least some regular exposure. Because I, I tell people that the world will define you by default, but the word will only define you by discipline. So choices are made. It's not going to happen uh, passively. Um, without God, we cannot, but without us, he will not. Hmm. Uh, you're like a Twitter storm, Ken Boa. <laughs> like, you're, you have so many beautiful Twitter phrases. Twitter storm, that's, <laughs> that's a funny uh, image. Well, <laughs> Twitter storm. Well, I feel like every sentence you say, I'm like, yeah, let's unpack that. Yeah, how come grace does lead into, you know, <laughs> self-sufficiency, yeah. et cetera. So you have, you have many rich nuggets throughout you and I'm I am a hundred percent sure that that is a result of pursuing this intimacy and this abiding with Christ through these practices so thank you so much for sharing your story and really practical first steps 
thank you. It's probably been one of your more bizarre podcasts. Oh, I mean, you're pretty par for the course. It's a good one. I'm telling you, this is a great one, but I think it's bizarre in the sense that it took a left turn I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I will say you're the biggest okay, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I am so thankful, though, for um, yeah. your your honesty and that uh, the love of the Lord, that expulsive power of a new affection gripped your heart because mm. it's it really mm. exhorted us today. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Now, guys, if you want to connect with Dr. Kenneth Boa, who we really got to know as Ken today, uh, I'm going to give links both to all of his books and his site, um, including that app where we can really start to practice the presence of God. Um, and this is not because, you know, Ken somehow has it nailed. It's that he's walking and, and we need to learn and walk how to walk well in this uh really dark and darker world. And so these practices are not because they save us, but they, they, they lead us toward a savior. How's that, Ken? Was that kind of one of your lines? I mean, that's very good. Very good. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I just need to be affirmed. Okay. Guys, our question. Yeah, I, we... need, I, need, I need that for affirmation. That's I do. <laughs> no, um, it's the intimacy yeah. that leads to it. I got it now. But guys, yeah. that's, that's the whole thing in intimacy. It comes down to relationships. It always mm-hmm. does at the end of the day. Yep. And the beauty of this, of the, of the biblical vision of life um, is, is, is there's so many uniquenesses, but one of them is that ultimately, God is a relational being. He is a community, and and because there's got to be more than one person for there to be love, and He's the only ontological basis for relationships. So mm. that concept is that we now are immersed. Um, one thing that comes to my mind, I'm just throwing it in um, because I've been thinking about this. Thomas Dubay in his Evidential Power of Beauty puts it this way: We have been created and redeemed for the eternal ecstasy of interpersonal immersion in the triune God. Godhead, beholding infinite beauty face to face. Hmm. That's so good. Okay. Well, I have received, um, I've just, just thank you. I'm just really, really thankful for you and for your practical pieces and your wisdom. And again, your, your Twitter storm (laughs) worthy (laughs) words that just really, I'm like, man, there's a podcast, there's a podcast, everything you were saying. So thank you so much, um, guys, we will connect you to his work. And for those of you who are joining us next week, Here we are at the end of the year. It is time to hear what is your word for 2020. Um, Just be praying and thinking about that. We love journeying with you guys and and hearing. Yeah, I'd actually like to hear too how to go for 2019, but then what's your word for the year for 2020? Uh, Thanks so much, guys, for being a part of this. For all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week.